going on a sniffy walk and letting your dog smell whatever they want to smell for as long as they want to smell it is really good for them. So when we go on ours, sometimes that means we walk 30 steps away mm-hmm. <laughs> and we spend a half an hour out on a walk where we can still see the house. <laughs> We've never gone, you know, far. I'm Phil Hatterman, and this is Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Today on Dog Words, dog behaviorist and researcher Dr. Ellen Furlong from Illinois Wesleyan University reminds us that we may not know our dogs as well as we think we do. If you're new to this podcast, in each episode we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We save each other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us, and they already do a lot. If you love dogs, you'll love Dog Words. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions. Go to the podcast page at rosiefund.org to share your thoughts. We welcome suggestions for topics and guests. The only way we know what topics and guests you like is if you tell us. Then we'll try to deliver more of that. Please download, subscribe, rate, and most importantly, share dog words. Please follow Rosie Fund on social media, especially the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel that offers great videos of Rosie, Peaches, and Shelter Dogs, including some exclusive content. At Rosie Fund, we encourage you to make a difference in a shelter dog's life. You can do just that by purchasing one of our We Save Each Other t-shirts at bonfire.com. Use the link in this episode's description. All proceeds go towards supporting our mission to help senior and harder-to-adopt dogs have a better life. We are grateful to alternative string duo The Wires for allowing us to share their wonderful music with you on each episode of Dog Words. Like many musicians, they are finding creative ways to reach their audience. Their 2020-2021 Underground Virtual Concert Series features performances and storytelling from mysterious and historical sites around Kansas City. Purchase a single concert for $15 or buy the series ticket for $60 and receive a digital download of their holiday album. Trust me, that's a tremendous value and you'll be supporting local musicians. Learn more at the link in this episode's description. Next time on Dog Words... Author and veteran Rob Kugler talks about his book, A Dog Named Beautiful, his special dog, Bella, and the relationship that reminds us we really do save each other. This will be a perfect episode to listen to with the whole family during the holiday season. The mission of Rosie Fund is to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. We thank you for joining our mission. this episode of Dog Words, we welcome Associate Professor of Psychology from Illinois Wesleyan University, Dr. Ellen Furlong, to the show. How are you doing today, Ellen? I'm great. How are you? I am well. I'm so excited to talk to you about dog behavior because I think there's two things that happen that are sort of two sides of the same coin. We have all these assumptions about dogs that we anthropomorphize them, that they're just like us. The other side of the coin is that We don't give them credit for cognitive complexity and their emotional range that they do have, but on their terms. We try to create this one-to-one comparison, dogs to humans, instead of accepting that, yes, they are complex, but they aren't us. So over the course of this interview, you're going to sort all that out for us. No pressure. (laughs) I'll do my best. (laughs) But before we get to that, first... What is your personal background with dogs? Did you grow up with dogs? Have you always been a dog person or just come to this through your research? Yeah, I grew up with dogs like many people. Probably many of your listeners have grown up with dogs. And we had two dogs when I was a kid, a little terrier mix named Coco and a cocker spaniel named Sassy. And I really got interested in dogs 
through training them with the 4-H Dog Club in Lexington, Kentucky, where I grew up. The thing that got me so interested was that Sassy would do anything, that Cocker Spaniel would do anything that I asked her and was just super eager to please. And the terrier had a mind of her own. (laughs) She had things that she was excited to learn and things that she was not going to learn to do. So one example was that she never wanted to learn how to lay down. That was not something she was into. (laughs) And so thinking about those differences just between my two dogs when I was a kid and why one of them would be so easy to train and the other one would be so stubborn really got me interested in thinking about the minds of dogs. So from a very early age, I was interested in in the minds of my little pups. Well, shout out to 4-H. A few weeks ago, we had Crystal Weeby of Beer Paws on the show, and she did 4-H with her dogs growing up in Beatrice, Nebraska. So thank you to 4-H for inspiring children and laying the groundwork for them going on to bigger and better things in their careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a big, big part of my life when I was a kid. So <laughs> and so you made the leap from 4-H to getting a, I assume your doctorate is in psychology? Yes, I have a doctorate in psychology. In the sort of in-between parts there, I worked a lot with primates. So people weren't really studying dog cognition much yet when I was in college and and early parts of my graduate school. Most of the work in animal cognition was with primates. I worked with chimpanzees and orangutans and monkeys for the most part, but I transitioned back to dogs uh, probably around 2010, 2011 and have been loving it. Was your dissertation focused on primates? Yeah, my dissertation was on uh, orangutans, and uh, I also had some human children thrown in there, but mostly orangutans. <laughs> and very little difference, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, very little. With your subsequent study of canines, what similarities are there between dogs and non-human primates before we start comparing them to humans? Yeah, so this can be kind of... Let me me rephrase this. Um, We have very sophisticated uh, audience. Uh, Many members have degrees, advanced degrees in evolutionary biology. So you you don't have to worry about talking overheads. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, good. I I would put the percentage below 50% that have advanced degrees in evolutionary (laughs) biology. Somewhere below 50%. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) Um, So actually, this is a question that I get asked a lot about dogs is sort of how smart are they and how do they stack up in comparison to either humans or to non-human animals like chimpanzees, for example. And it's a little bit of a tricky question to answer because the kinds of things that dogs need to be smart are slightly different than the kinds of things that, oh, a chimpanzee needs to be smart Mm -hmm. or that a human needs to be smart. In many ways, it's kind of comparing apples and oranges uh, to ask these questions. But For example, dogs are incredibly cooperative with humans. They are really interested in communicating with people and in being around people. But chimpanzees just aren't really. They're they're a much more competitive species and their social structure is based much more on sort of dominance and, and hierarchy and competition. The way that those two species, chimps and dogs, approach the world is really different. And so it can be really hard to compare them. But There have been some research efforts to do that. My favorite example of this is called the object choice task. And with this task, researchers are looking at whether dogs and chimpanzees can use human gestures to find a hidden 
food. So basically you just hide some food underneath one of two cups and then you point to the cup and see if the animal can locate the food. Use your point to find it. Dogs are really good at this. They follow the human pointing gesture with no problem, but chimpanzees just ignore the human pointing gesture. They really don't seem to understand that the person is trying to tell them where the food is. That's counterintuitive. Um, You would assume that an animal that has fingers would be on board with the whole pointing system. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You would think that. It seems like they kind of don't recognize the cooperative nature of the task, whereas dogs are really, really keen to cooperate and work closely with humans. So they are sort of approaching this very same task from different perspectives, these two species. And I would equate that to a human, that if you don't know someone's trying to help you, you would ignore them Mm -hmm. pointing, they're gesturing. Dogs just always assume that we're on their team. Exactly, exactly. They read something into Mm -hmm. every gesture, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they pay very close attention. Mm -hmm. What are some of the myths that we have about the way dogs behave or respond to humans that we've just sort of assumed is their nature? Yeah, oh, there are many of these. I think one of them is this idea of dogs feeling guilt. So a lot of people say, oh, you know, I was gone all day. I came home and my dog got into the trash and spread the trash all over the house. And I knew the minute I came in the door that this had happened because little Fido was, you know, giving me the sad eyes. And yeah. and there's um, whole social sort of media slinking. threads of all these guilty exactly. dogs and wearing their signs and everything. Exactly. Yes. The dog shaming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But actually, there's really good evidence that suggests that that is not, in fact, guilt that the dogs are demonstrating, that what they're responding to is actually their human's behavior. So in this really clever research Alexandra Horowitz did with dogs, she had owners tell the dog not to eat a bowl of food, and then the owners walked out of the room. And the dogs either did eat the food anyway, or they didn't. But the important thing was when the owner came back, the researchers told the owner that the dog ate the food or not, but it didn't have anything to do with what the dog actually did. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they told the owners that the dog ate the food when they really didn't. And what they found is that the only thing that mattered for the dogs acting guilty was if the owner thought the dog had eaten the food. So if the dog ate the food, but the owner didn't think they ate the food, the dog didn't act guilty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they only acted guilty if the owner thought that they ate the food. So it seems like they're picking up on our behavior. Probably they're showing something more like submission than guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the big myths, I think, about dogs. Another one that I encounter a lot is this idea that Dogs need a strong pack leader sort of telling them how to behave and that if they don't have a strong leader of the pack, then they're more likely to have behavior problems. Yeah, we Um, have this template of a wolf pack and that there has to be an alpha and a beta and then the omega and plug it into it even though they're not wolves. Exactly, exactly. So, and you can see this with ways that people approach dog training. Some people have a sort of more sort of authoritarian approach to dog training and others have a much more kind of relaxed, positive reinforcement kind of style. But actually this idea that we have to be at the top of the pack, that we have to be the alpha, really comes from some misconceptions about dogs and also about wolves. So first, this idea that because wolves have this pack structure, so do dogs. That's one misconception. And a second is that wolves have that structure at all. Wolves actually have a much more 
egalitarian structure. They're much more like a family where you've got the alpha and beta are really more the mom and the dad. And then the others sort of fall into place around there. But the way that this idea, this myth came about was based on observations of wolves in captivity. And wolves in captivity are sort of trapped together. So you can imagine that if you are forever forced to live with your family, your mother and your father and your siblings all together, and you're never able to go out yeah. and meet other yeah. wolves. Yeah, if sociologists <laughs> studied family structure by looking at how people interact in prison, exactly, it would be exactly. a very artificial construct. You'd get a very different idea about what it actually looks like. Right, you um, need to shiv someone in your family to let them know who's in charge. <laughs> Make a shiv exactly. out of a spoon. <laughs> exactly. Um, That's so what the studies a, show. Well, That's follow the science. <laughs> yeah, so the, uh, so the work with, with wolves actually suggests that that's not even how they are at all. So we know like the better way to sort of interact with your dog is through positive reinforcement training rather than dominance and hierarchy and structure. And just be consistent. And be consistent, Because yeah. if it's just yeah. authoritarian, you can be inconsistent. I mean, look at every totalitarian <laughs> regime throughout history. They can be in yep. charge and be mm-hmm. wildly inconsistent, but yep. that's not a healthy relationship with it is not. the group. Yeah, it is not. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, what are some of the surprises that you've found? Because you go into a study with a hypothesis, and mm-hmm. sometimes that hypothesis is proven to be true, and sometimes it is not. So mm-hmm. what are some surprises? Even being proved right can be a surprise sometimes. Yeah, I have two, I think, that are my favorite to talk about here. <laughs> one of them is funny because it shows that sometimes we think we're asking dogs one question and they think we're asking them something completely different. So, <laughs> um, so it just goes to show that we have to be careful in how we design our research projects. So this particular study, we were looking at what dogs know about math. And the question was, do they know that one plus one equals two? and that two minus one equals one. And the way that we asked this was we had a little stage set up and we would put on the stage behind a screen, we would take one tennis ball and put it behind the screen and then we'd take another tennis ball and put it behind the screen. So if you can do one plus one equals two, you should expect that when the screen drops, there's two tennis balls on the screen and you should be surprised if there's only one. Mm -hmm. And we measure surprise in dogs by looking time. So the longer the dogs look at something, the more surprised that they are. We did this for for addition, one plus one equals two. We also did this for subtraction. Three balls on the stage minus one should also equal two. And what we found is that no matter what, dogs just like looking at more tennis balls. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we thought we were asking them about addition and subtraction, and really they were like, Woo, tennis yeah. balls. You're just asking them, <laughs> what is your level of enthusiasm for tennis balls? Exactly, exactly. And, and more is like, better is what you found. More is better, yeah. <laughs> so we actually spend a lot of time in my lab now trying to find things that are interesting, but not too interesting <laughs> for the dogs to look at. So that's one of them. But on a sort of, sort of more serious note, of a study that we did where we made some pretty clear predictions at the start, and then we found something completely different, I think is one that I'm still grappling with. We haven't published this result yet because it's, it's weird. So, so a dog words um, exclusive, everyone. Breaking news. I wish I had a sounder news. for that, for, for breaking news. <laughs> um, I'll insert that in post. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Put it in post. (laughs) Yeah. So we were doing the study looking at self-control and trying to see if there were breed differences in self-control. And we expected that there would be. We thought maybe breeds that have been bred to do things like hunt with their owner. So in this case, you would expect a dog would have more self-control because Mm -hmm. you want them to go and retrieve the duck that the owner has shot or flush the birds, but not chase them like Mm -hmm. crazy, right? You expect them to do some things. They have to be able to show restraint. Exactly. Not go overboard, right? Don't eat the duck that you're bringing back to Mm -hmm. your owner and don't go crazy running and barking all over the place, chasing all the birds away, right? So we thought hunting dogs would be good at self-control. We also thought herding dogs would be good at self-control because they essentially hunt but don't kill, right? Mm -hmm. And so we thought, okay, they, they should be good at it. But we expected terriers, whose job is to like go down into a hole and be like relentless. murder, yeah, like murder that rat, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to be terrible. We thought that they would be bad at the self-control test. So we went to a dog show and we rounded up a bunch of dogs and ran them through our little self-control test. And what we found actually was everything on its head. The terriers were really good at the self-control. The hunting dogs were somewhere in the middle. And the herding dogs were terrible. (laughs) Um, They were just awful at it. So we are still kind of scratching our head about that one, trying to figure out why there might be those breed differences in that direction. We would have gone to collect more data at the dog show again this year, except COVID prevented us from doing so. So we are still trying to figure that one out. (laughs) How were they exercising their self-control? What were they being tempted with? Yeah, so it's a classic task called the cylinder test. And so we have a plastic tube that we show the dogs, and this tube is covered in duct tape so they can't see inside. But it lies on its side so that the two openings are, one is to the left and one is to the right of the dog who's facing the tube. We then take a treat and put it in one side of the tube and let the dog go. This is a really easy task for all dogs. They quickly detour around to one of the sides of the tube and get the treat out from inside of it. But the self-control part comes in where we have a clear tube. So now they can see the treat inside the clear tube. And the question is, will they still detour around the side to get the food? Or because they see that treat there sitting in the middle of the clear tube, are they going to run up and bump their nose right up Mm -hmm. against the tube? And so this is where we saw all of these herding dogs Um, (laughs) running up and just smacking their nose right up against the clear tube, trying to get into it and not just taking the two seconds to detour around the side and get the food. So it was a pretty funny, (laughs) pretty funny task. Anecdotally, and I've covered this many times on the show, how smart border collies and Australian shepherds are. Mm -hmm. And we had a guest on Karen Miller, who was with a local border collie rescue group and who trains border collies and just how smart they are. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I'm, I'm befuddled by this. Is, <laughs> is it hubris that they think there's a treat there? It's for me. There's nothing that can stop me. Yeah. You know, I'm really not sure what it is. Get to the bottom um, of this, Dr. Furlong. Yeah, I know. We're trying to. <laughs> I have an Australian shepherd mix myself and she is quite smart and very good at problem solving 
but also terrible at this task. (laughs) And I'm really not sure what it is. There are other kinds of self-control tests that we can give them. And so it could be just a fluke of this research paradigm. It could be a real effect, right? It could be that they are not good at self-control. They're good at all kinds of other things. And so they leap into it and just assume that they're going to figure it out. We still have a number of questions to ask about this. Well, my advanced degree is in the humanities. So Mm -hmm. with that in mind, as as a caveat, (laughs) here's my theory, at least on the terriers. Perfect. Their spatial relations, they've been bred for tunnel Mm -hmm. work. They -hmm. understand how tubes a kind of yeah. tunnel. They understand how that works. They understand the problem solving if, if tunnels branch off or I can intercept and mm-hmm. that's in their brain. They have that geography. Border collies, herding dogs, they're used to working in space yeah. and even small spaces are not confined like a burrow or a tube. They don't encounter that sort of thing. They encounter shoots, mm-hmm. loading shoots, that sort of thing. So for something not to have an opening on the top, or the side, but only at the ends, makes no sense to them. Yeah. And so this is why we want to throw some other kinds of self-control tasks at them and mm-hmm. see how generalizable this finding is, right? Is it really just because we have a tube and terriers mm-hmm. are good at that, you know, or what's, what's going on yeah. here? But You really can't do um, the marshmallow thing yes. that they do with toddlers. Well, you where, know, we have. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. wow. I'm excited <laughs> how you apply it. Yeah, and I'll let have. you explain because yeah. I'm sure you have much more experience with this since you have a mm-hmm. doctorate in psychology. What is the the marshmallow test for kids? Yeah, so the marshmallow test for kids is where researchers put kids in a room and they give them a marshmallow and they say, "You can have this marshmallow. You can eat it whenever you want, but if you wait until I get back and you don't eat it before I come back in the room, then I'll give you a second marshmallow." So the question is, you've got this delicious snack in front of you. Can you hold off eating it for just a few minutes while I go run a quick errand and I'll come back and and give it to you along with a second one? If you go ahead and eat it, that's fine, but you're not going to get the second marshmallow. And so we have done this with dogs where we had essentially a big wheel that had a piece of plexiglass on top of it with a hole cut in the plexiglass. So the idea here is that food is going to come to a window in the plexiglass where the dogs can eat the food at the window And a boring piece of kibble is going to come first. And you can eat that kibble if you want, but the wheel's going to stop spinning if you do. If you wait a few seconds, five seconds, then the kibble will move on by. But here comes a nice, delicious piece of jerky. Mm. Um, And we all know, you know, dogs are going to go for jerky over kibble every day. (laughs) Um, And in fact, that is what they did. Most of our dogs waited for the jerky to come instead of eating the kibble and stopping the wheel. They'd wait and the jerky would come and they'd eat that. And in fact, we were able to get up to 15 seconds, which for dogs is you know, a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they came up with all these hilarious strategies for not eating the, the kibble when it came by and waiting for the jerky. Some of my favorite ones were we had a dog who would walk to the corner of the room and sort of hide his face in the corner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he'd come sprinting back to get the, the food once the kibble had passed. We had another dog who would just walk all around. He'd go stand by the jerky and then walk like all around the wheel as the jerky rotated Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) to get to the window. Um, And uh, another dog who would just close his eyes and kind of put his head underneath the wheel and then pop up right when the (laughs) jerky came to the window. And we know that kids also have all these strategies that they do 
um, mm-hmm. to wait for the marshmallow. But here's another place where we had something weird happen. <laughs> so we gave the dogs this test and they were really good at it. So now we changed it up a little bit and we said, okay, now can they learn to wait for more? So if you have one piece of jerky that's going to come to the window first, but you have 10 pieces of jerky if you wait five seconds. Because it's one thing to turn down a dry, crusty piece of kibble. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yep. But it's another thing to wait. Yeah. And no, they couldn't do it. They couldn't wait for two pieces of jerky instead of one. They couldn't wait for 10 pieces of jerky instead of one. So we thought, okay, maybe it's exactly that. Maybe they can't pass up that delicious jerky. Now let's try it with kibble. So we tried it with kibble, one piece of kibble or 10 pieces of kibble. And yet again, they could not wait. So as long as it's the same food, they cannot wait. Well, I'll tell <laughs> you two things. Food, yeah, well, two things ahead. about our dog Peaches. One piece of kibble, 10 pieces of kibble. She's not signing off on that. She's going to wait yeah. for something better regardless of how much kibble she always has to have her kibble supplemented with something that's an upgrade. And as mm-hmm. far as showing restraint, every evening she gets a treat around seven o'clock and it's eight pieces. And I'm not going to name the treat and give them free publicity. <laughs> if they want to buy advertising on dog words, they can. But oftentimes we will do wait and we put it down and she has to wait to teach her to wait because that's mm-hmm. an important skill. Sure to have as a dog owner so your dog will wait when it's important that they wait and uh, we'll put it on her paw or just right under her nose or on our knee Mm -hmm. or between our teeth Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she watches very closely where you're placing it and then if you say wait well two things one if she's figured out we're doing the wait game she'll tuck her paws so you can't put it on her paw like there's one less option for making her wait. And if, if, she, if you can't put it on her paws, maybe you'll give up. So that's her game. But then the other thing is she averts her gaze. So similar to the first mm-hmm. dog you described, who goes to the corner, the other one who just mm-hmm. ducks its head and closes his eyes, she can't look at it. And she doesn't necessarily even look at us. She'll just like fix her mm-hmm. gaze, like a thousand yard stare. Yep. Yep. It's like she's like- being mindful. <laughs> yeah. Just breathe. Like, I have to ignore this. Just yeah. breathe. <laughs> Yeah, it's great that they have these strategies. I mean, we see the strategies in the kids. When you give the same kinds of self-control tests back to chimpanzees, you give the same tests to chimpanzees, they do the same things. If, if they've got something they can use to distract themselves, they can wait longer than if they don't. So the fact that dogs have these strategies as well is pretty exciting. Yeah, it's well, the, pretty interesting. The tip I'll give, because I've discussed this on non-Dog Words podcasts I've been involved with, and talking to financial advisors and people who cannot delay gratification, people who have to eat that first marshmallow and won't wait for two, those mm-hmm. people are not going to have a retirement fund. Right, right. <laughs> but a level we did not get to is the importance of having a strategy for distraction that we talk about. You have to have goals and be disciplined with setting money aside. And we may mention, and don't look at the market performance every day. But I think finding something to do other than look at market performance every day, something other than looking at your marshmallows. Yep, exactly. So that you're not obsessing over, oh, I just want that money now. I'm not going to put money away for retirement or a rainy day or an emergency fund. I'm just going to eat my marshmallows. Well, stop thinking about your marshmallows and live your life. Go for a jog, watch a movie, (laughs) play with your dog, for goodness sakes. Yep. 
playing with your dog is a solution to many of life's problems. <laughs> mm-hmm. The world would be a much better place. Uh, it would be. You've given some suggestions for how people should interact with their dogs and, and debunking some of the myths. Any other suggestions before we go on how people can better understand their dog's behavior and perhaps have a better relationship and interaction with their dog and dogs in general? Yeah, I think a couple things. So the first thing is that there are lots of different kinds of walks you can take with your dog. And I think people don't always think about that. They're not always really a walk is a walk. about the right. A walk is a walk. But my dog is Cleo is 16 now. So we go on lots of short, slow walks. But mm-hmm. when she was in her prime, she was a big time distance runner with me. So we would go for like big long runs every day. But that wasn't enough, you know, even though she was physically tired, it wasn't enough to make her psychologically happy, Mm -hmm. right? Dogs also need other kinds of stimulation too. And I think people often forget about the importance of the nose for the dogs. So going on a sniffy walk and letting your dog smell whatever they want to smell for as long as they want to smell it is really good for them. So when we go on ours, sometimes that means we walk 30 steps away Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we spend a half an hour out on a walk where we can still see the house. (laughs) We've never gone, you know, far, but my dogs are getting a lot of great information. They're really happy and they're really learning a lot about the world around them that way. We have a fox that lives in the woods behind our house. And so they are now, especially now since he's moved in, Mm -hmm. everything smells so good. (laughs) They are really sniffing everything. (laughs) And we have deer behind our house and Mm -hmm. uh, raccoons and some foxes. She's fine with the deer, fascinated watching the deer. Raccoons Mm -hmm. are a little concerning. But yeah, anytime those rare occasions when the fox makes an appearance, this is upsetting. This is yeah. a concern that that's that's a little too close to home, I think. That Yeah, yeah. They we were on a walk the other day when the fox trotted out from behind our backyard and up the street right towards us. And my old lady Cleo just totally ignored it, but our younger lab mix was like ah, it's a fox, it's a fox. And he was so worked up and so excited. And it was just like, his little mind was blown. (laughs) Well, Peaches is very concerned if a squirrel crosses the path or sometimes squirrels Mm -hmm. look kind of aggressive. That they'll Mm -hmm. look right at you and shake their tail, not wag their tail, but like the tail is violently (laughs) twitching and, and that pushes her buttons. But if a squirrel just minds its own business... Mm-hmm. she's fine with that. The other day we're walking past a neighbor's backyard that has a retaining wall. That's about a three foot retaining wall. And then it slopes mm-hmm. up to their house. That's on our right. On our left is then a tree covered slope that goes down about 25, 30 feet to a Creek mm-hmm. about 15 feet in front of us. A groundhog comes running down that slope from our right. Oh, no. <laughs> just flying faster than you'd think a groundhog could move. Yeah. I think it helped that it was going downhill. Yeah. <laughs> it leaps off of the retaining wall, almost clearing the paved walkway, and down that slope. And Peaches, her ears were up, her tail was up, but her hair wasn't up. And she just watches, and then she follows it with her head and just kind of stares and I'm already getting ready to brace myself to restrain her. She's 14. Yeah. She has no business mm-hmm. chasing anything into the trees. <laughs> and uh, she just seemed somewhat nonplussed by it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, there you go. 
That, yeah, that was, that was a groundhog. There it is. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little impressed by that groundhog. Now let's yeah. go on with our walk. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. We had a funny incident a few months ago. I was walking them and a little baby bunny came just barreling out of the bushes and was going so fast. It just was not paying attention to where mm-hmm. it went and ran smack into Cleo. <laughs> and they both just kind of looked at each other like, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and then the bunny went on its way. <laughs> Let's never speak it's of this funny. again. Exactly. <laughs> well, I also like what you said about giving your dog time yeah. to sniff, because I think that also makes you a better person. If mm-hmm. you practice the patience yeah. And mindfulness that it takes to not just jerk on the leash. Say, come on, come on, let's walk. Come on, go, yeah. go, go. Mm-hmm. To let them yeah. sniff while you also just breathe and be grateful that you have a dog and that you can yeah. go for a walk and mm-hmm. that there's so many worse things you could be doing with your time than exactly waiting for your dog to get done sniffing. Yeah, it's, you know, especially these days in the midst of the pandemic, it seems like, and I'm sure others are, are in this too, hopping from one Zoom meeting to another, and it's just constant emails and all the stuff, and it's just stress, stress, stress all the time. And so taking that time to go out and walk and just be has been really good for me as well. And working from home has been great because I'm forced to get up and take them out more mm-hmm. often because they stare at me <laughs> until I do. It's been said um, many times yeah. on Dog Words, dogs make us better people. They do. They really do. So thank yeah. you to and dogs. Yes. And the one other thing I wanted to add about your question was in terms of making our dogs happier, just like they can make us better people, we can make them happier and they can make us happier at the same time. I mean, just spending time with their people is what dogs want to Mm -hmm. do. Like we know that they prefer people to food, which surprises people a lot. We know that they... And I um, see that a lot at the shelter that you try to identify what dogs are treat motivated and what are Mm -hmm. praise motivated even some of the ones that have been assigned or labeled treat motivated you'll give them the treat and then they don't eat it it's not that they want to eat it's that they want you to give them something and it just Mm -hmm. happens to be the treat give them attention give them love give them treat as a symbol of attention Mm -hmm. is what that dog was wanting from you yeah. Yeah. They, they want you, they want people around. They want to, you know, just looking in the eye, making eye contact releases oxytocin, which is this hormone that's associated with all kinds of things. But one of the things it's associated with is social bonding. So we know that just like being around our dogs, give us all the warm and fuzzy feelings. They probably are feeling the same being around us. So the more time we can spend with them and the attention that we can give them, the happier they'll be. The motto of Rosie Fund, our charitable foundation that sponsors Dog Words, the motto is we save each other. So it's not a one-way street. Either way, it's a two-way street. There's mutual Mm -hmm. benefit from there. You mentioned COVID impacting what you do. So is research just on hold until shelter-at-home protocols are lifted? It's not exactly all on hold. Any research that we do in the lab right now is on hold, but we do have research project that owners can do at home with their dogs. And any owner anywhere can do this. It's back to that pointing study that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It's can your dog find a treat when you give them a hint about where it is by pointing to it. The reason that we're doing this task that is sort of a classic test that we know that dogs are really good at is just to validate whether or not it's feasible to have owners collect data at home and share it. So it's a 
uh, what we call a validation study. So we are running that right now and all information about that and including videos and how to and uploading your data once you've completed it can be found on our website. I'll have a link to that in the description so it will be easy for people to find. Just look at the description for this episode of Dog Words. When I was looking at the Illinois Wesleyan University website for the research that you and your colleagues are doing, I noticed that you have an Audible book. Is that something that is accessible to the general public, or is that specifically for people who are doing research in animal behavior or psychologists? Yeah, what I understand it is, is what I'm asking. Yes, <laughs> it is. Uh, it is geared towards the general public. So it's really for anyone and everyone who's interested in learning more about their dogs. In it, I kind of go through a little bit about the history of the dog, what we know and what we don't know about dog domestication. I talk a little bit about dogs' senses, their sense of smell, their vision, their hearing. I talk a lot about their social behavior and the kinds of things that they think of us. So there's a lot of sort of fun examples and more details about some of the studies that I mentioned today in that book. I think dog lovers in general, whether you have a dog or not, would enjoy a book that covers that material, but especially anyone who works in a shelter or volunteers Mm -hmm. in a shelter or with a rescue group. This I think not only would be just entertaining, but particularly beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. I think understanding our dogs, how they think and how they sort of perceive the world around them can help us provide better care for them and give them what they need. Because understanding what they need is different than what a human needs. Um, Mm -hmm. And so then we can't ever really know what they need unless we understand them as a species. So hopefully this book could help. (laughs) I will put a link for that in the description. As our regular listeners know, I always put all the links in the description so it's easy for you to access the information that we share on the episode. You don't have to worry about taking notes. So check out Dr. Furlong's book. That link again will be in the description. Thank you, Dr. Ellen Furlong, for sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, We look forward to having you back on again with any more bits of wisdom you have. And certainly when you unlock the mystery of restraint (laughs) in the world of dogs, (laughs) feel free to break that news with us. I I don't know what what scientific journals are also waiting with bated breath for this, but keep us in (laughs) mind, keep us on the list and uh, we'll have you on again. Thank you so much for helping humans and dogs continue to bond together. Well, thank you. This was a lot of fun. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Thank you to Dr. Ellen Furlong of Illinois Wesleyan University for joining us. Use the links in this episode description if you and your dog would like to participate in virtual research or to listen to Dr. Furlong's audiobook, Decoding Dogs, Inside the Canine Mind. We also have links to the interviews with Crystal Wiebe of Beer Paws and Karen Miller of Mocan Border Collie Rescue that I referenced earlier. Next time on Dog Words, author and veteran Rob Kugler talks about his book, A Dog Named Beautiful, his special dog, Bella, and their relationship that reminds us we really do save each other. Enjoy it with your family this holiday season. Make a difference in a shelter dog's life by purchasing one of our We Save Each Other t-shirts at bonfire.com. The link is in this episode's description. All proceeds go towards supporting our mission to help senior and harder-to-adopt dogs have a better life. 
A big thank you to alternative string duo The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks, for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Learn more about The Wires at thewires.info and download their music on iTunes. Check out fiddlelife.com and learn to play fiddle and cello fiddle online from Laurel and Sasha, even if you've never played before. Use the link in the episode description to see their 2020-2021 Underground Virtual Concert Series schedule. Purchase a single concert or buy the series ticket and receive a digital download of their holiday album. As always, please download, subscribe, rate, and share Dog Words. This helps us with sponsorships, then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions at rosiefund.org and let us know if you would like to be a sponsor of the Dog Words podcast. Thank you for listening, and remember, we save each other.